tuning into this uh, theme unrestricted awareness unrestricted by the five aggregates and by what the five aggregates present a world, a reality of separation reality bounded by uh, death, separation bounded by what we like, dislike fear of losing what we like fear of getting what we dislike <laughs> competing over what we like fighting over what we dislike <laughs> you know, fighting over perceptions and moods you know, arguing and quarrelling over who's right and who's wrong and uh, all this kind of stuff that happens when the jitter is constricted into these very uh, limited channels form you know. Uh, identifying with one's physical form identifying with another's physical form that's him, that's her mm. you know, and so we uh, really just this very obvious uh, presentation it's like classical physics it's it's working model that is um, you know, Hong Shi or Shivan or somebody technically, but what are you looking at? <laughs> you're seeing eyes or hair or shape or what's that you know is that a person or is it shape of a body uh, what's it look like when it's upside down or aging or it's a very uh, we just get a, a presentation of a form that's subject to change is that form the person is a shape a person is a color a person? Can you have a shape, a texture, a colour, or are they just ways that form manifests that it's subject to change? Skin, changing colour, wrinkling, smooth, hair coming out of it, you know, twisting, desiccating, dissolving, shape, form. The amount of agitation that can get generated around form, passion, aversion, worry, anxiety, comparisons, competition, yeah. feeling, pleasure and pain. Does any of them stay constant? Aren't they always fluctuating? Perceptions and meanings. Does anybody have the same? perceptions and meanings aren't we sensitive in various areas other people aren't sensitive in very touchy around some things and pretty numb on other things get touchy about you know our particular thing that we're you know focused on or, or deeply affected by often this is where sort of nationalism and slogans take over. People get very affected by flags and slogans. And what do they mean? Nothing much, really. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Freedom, liberty, quality. Yeah, great sounds. What is it actually? What it actually works out? Yeah, and uh, this is kind of. Uh, yeah, so certainly there is. Uh, 
you know, we have to get beyond this motivation towards where is it possible for our chittas to become unrestricted. Now that is worth getting motivated around. Or is it possible for our chittas to meet without discord, with a sense of mutuality? That is worth getting motivated around. But perceptions of people, you know, beliefs and systems, very classic, you know, in some sense they're useful, but there's a certain point at which you say, no, we've got to get beyond the system. We've got to get beyond the, the rules and regulations. There's never been a set of rules and regulations that finally work. What really works is jitta, is heart, is awareness. When that's clear and sensitive and mutually respectful, that works. Everything else is just this kind of measure to maybe try and improve that. But we can't substitute the natural law of the heart for any human constructions. Okay, sankaras, mental activations, mental formations... And uh, this Sankara refers also to the whole formative tendencies, the energies and synergies that operate us. This may sound mysterious, but um, <laughs> to use an analogy, you know, hundred or so years ago, people believed in physical objects. And the classical physics looked look at that saying, no, it's actually atoms. Little, little billiard ball, tiny billiard ball atoms in space. They're so tiny that it seems, it seems solid, but it's actually tiny, 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 tiny balls of materiality floating around in space. And okay, let's look into that. Open up the atom. Oh, look, it's not a solid thing at all. There's tiny, 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 tiny nucleus, massive amounts of space and tiny, tiny electrons, even tinier, running around it. Wow, what amazing. And then, of course, the quantum people looked into that and said, no, that's not even solid either. <laughs> it's really particles, subatomic particles, neutrinos and quarks and bosons and things like that. And then finally they say, actually, guys, there's nothing there. <laughs> All you have is communications and signals, signals and communications. You know, there's no, there's no such thing as matter, as, as, as yeah. Well, this is what matter is. Matter is a matter is 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 a deeply embedded, woven texture of signals and waves that can change shape at that at the fundamental level. Now, what is that process of signals and communications and synergies, things working together? In Buddhism, this is called sankara. It's the energies you could say, like a magnetic force, you could say, or electromagnetic force. These again are more analogies. It's the qualities, it's the energies that help to bind things into certain uh, experiences such as, uh, you know, the experience of the body breathing in and out. Which, which means there's a whole set of signals that get the body's muscles to operate and the textures to open and the membranes to, you know, take in. There's a whole set of signals that get it to, ex to breathe out. And as that happens... That's moderated by the, the body's intelligence receiving those signals and saying, that's just what I need, that's too much, slow down, comfortable, non-verbally. So the breathing is moderated. If you get very excited, it's, it generally gets more. Yeah? If you get alarmed, it gets more. Sometimes it seems to get very stiff and rigid because the body is in a state of fear or shock or grief or joy. And these 
Therefore, these emotional activities affect the physicality because the signaling crosses what we think is the, is the is mind to matter, as if they're separate things. Actually, they're, they're conjoined. You can't separate mind from matter. They are sankharad. They are, yeah, they're linked. They're, they're codependent. Yeah. Uh, and also the way that our heart moves, the way that our, our heart is generated and opens and, and produces energies, that requires the body, body energy to kind of get it going. So if you're really sick and tired, it's very difficult to think clearly. You know, if you're very depressed and sad, it's very difficult to um, come up with a clear idea. You know, and your body sinks. If you're very lonely, then this affects your body. Often people literally die of a broken heart. We're seeing in these, uh, you know, in these corona times when people are isolated, it's not good. If people's bodies don't notice other bodies around, they start to get strange. <laughs> you know, the hearts get strange. We seem to, on some level, need to have people to talk to. Uh, it doesn't really matter what we're talking about, some sense of there's, a, there's, a, there's a, almost an a, a electromagnetic or tissue bonding that occurs. And so we definitely experience this in terms of our relationships, you know, with our peers, friends, colleagues, parents, partners and so forth. There's a bonding that occurs there as these energies start to bond and, until, you know, people become us. And you can have this with a pet. People experience deep bonding with a pet. The pet dies, they're heartbroken. So this synergy stuff, this Sankara stuff, is it's not just um, make-believe or, or, or it's not under intellectual control. It, 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 it stitches heart, body and thought together. Bearing in mind just even the generating of compassionate thoughts Gratitude thoughts, generating those, has an effect on the brain. <laughs> you know, because there are certain, um, forgot what they call them, synapses or links in the brain that warm up if you generate compassion. So actually the brain is malleable and keeps growing and you can change the structure of your, your brain, the energies in your brain uh, and, and so forth. And as it said, those who, as the Buddha remarked, or as people remarked, people who live uh, the pure life, their countenance is radiant. It affects the energy in their body. They start to look. There's a certain beauty that arises. So this is the Sankara process. And there's a sense in which the, the beautiful heart can give rise to a certain radiant beauty. Uh, not that we're looking for that. <laughs> but it's an indication and of course, the miserable mind can make us feel twisted and dark and oppressive. Oh, and feel it. body feels sunk. So, you know, and the general tendency, practices of, of mind cultivation and of Chitta cultivation, which includes cultivating the body in a certain way, harmlessness, um, sense restraint, uh, you know, 
sexual restraint or celibacy, these are definitely things that are, have a bodily effect and they have a jitter effect. Uh, and the Buddha recommended them because if your energy is not running out, you've just got a lot more um, reserves that you need to really do the work of liberation, gathering all your resources together, uh, dissipating it. And the general uh, trend of, of Dhamma practice is, first of all, the acknowledgement of these, these sankharas, which means that how our mind runs out, how our thoughts run out, how our mood swings run out, how our volitional tendencies run out, how mental strategies run out, you know, how aims and ambitions, fears and loves, desires and joys run out, and you restrain it, just collect it so the energy is not running out, at least not heedlessly, then you can generally put it where you want it to go. And this gives a certain firmness and decisiveness uh, uh, to one's actions and to one's mental intentions. A mind so cultivated will have strength and unwavering firmness without needing a lot of pressure in it. You know, so that firmness can be light because the mind has been properly trained, rather like a well-smoothed, um, you know, an oiled peg will easily slip into a hole, whereas a rough one you've got to hammer it in. So, the, so a properly trained mind easily slips into, you know, whatever one wants to put into and uh, yeah. so this moderating of sankharas and then the Buddha saying you know consciousness which comes into all that as I've touched into particularly mental consciousness which very limits our world and sensual consciousness limits us to a world that's bounded by our visual sense our auditory sense, our sense of space. And if you contemplate your sense of space, you realize it, it's, uh, it's a fiction. Mm. You know, what, is that, what does there mean? You're sitting here, what is there? What's the, where does the boundary between here and there? Mm. Can you find a boundary between here and there? <laughs> in your own body you say oh yeah my legs are down there my foot is there my hand is there um, well if your hand is there where are you <laughs> up in your head center of your chest where are you where is the boundary between you and your hand is the one or isn't it more accurate to say the sensations and the perceptions of hand arise in my awareness? Isn't that more accurate? And the idea of where it is that arises within my awareness. And uncertainty about what he's talking about arises within my awareness. Isn't it true there's only one place everything arises within awareness? Isn't that, isn't that the case? Yeah. And you can look down at your body and say, oh yeah, my foot is down there. But that's a visual description. 
that's a visual directly felt there is no there there's just here with whatever the mind however the mind breaks that up is the mind breaking it up for strategical reasons so this is the aggregate process breaks everything up into forms and feelings and perceptions and sankharas and so on and uh, Buddha on a few occasions says well this is yes but one can turn one's jitta one's heart one's awareness away from the aggregates thus so you incline your chitta away from it recognizing this is peaceful this is sublime that is the stilling of sankharas just calming them stilling them not running the relinquishment of acquisitions acquired assumptions acquired attitudes acquired beliefs just let it pass see what you see directly don't hang on to models try to experience things directly relinquishment of acquisitions destruction of craving destruction of craving dispassion cessation nibbana so what is it that binds this experience of me and it me in a body that's going to die me living in a certain time span that's running out me living in a place in a certain country you know on my own or whatever local concern what what uh, what get with all that suffering of that stress of that uh, what liberates the jitta from, what makes that happen uh, it's called craving to be craving to craving for existence something wants to stitch all these disparate experiences into an entity but it can't it brings it into two entities one's called me the other's called everything else <laughs> isn't that right there's one of you and then there's an indefinite everything else it could be one person it could be five people it could be the state of the world it could be <laughs> but essentially it's you you're the subject and there are various objects that you deal with right basic paradigm so it never even gets down to one it gets down to two and when you begin to contemplate well who is the me that gets into lots of little different disparate qualities that are sort of coming and going and yeah and when you get to what the objects are you realize they're pretty indeterminate also because it depends on your opinion your attention your interest what you notice what concerns you and uh, what your what your attention picks up yeah and probably 
mostly through your eyes, probably not oriented much around what you smell or what you hear, but mostly your eyes and your, and your thinking establish your world. And it's a little bit different from everybody else's. That would be rough overlap. And they're changeable. The craving to be, craving to make this solid, tries to weld these things together into a solid me and a solid world. Solid me, solid situation I'm in. All I've got to do now is come to terms with my situation. I am solid, the situation is solid, I just need to get these two to join and link up, then I'll be harmonious and comfortable. This is a lifetime project. <laughs> Because we begin to recognise, well, that was not bad. You just, if I just get that, yeah, and then if I did that, that would be all right. But then, oh, that's gone. If I, wait a minute, that's needs adjusting. And what's wrong with him? She's having a bad day. And then I don't feel so good myself right now. Isn't it true that all that, all that the participants in that presentation? are subject to change and stress and variation and don't quite fully match up. And perhaps the best thing to do is maintain a certain tolerant, equanimous, kindly space <laughs> within which these various forms called me and you can have their say and come and go and not be given too much intense focus on. Isn't that the wisest that we eventually come down to? Whoever you are, whatever you are, I don't really know. But may you be well, and I'm not going to try to avoid dominating you, manipulating you, using you, projecting my stuff onto you, expecting you to be something. There's a sense of space which is not cold space, it's a kind of compassionate space, tolerant space, open space heart space and they say well cultivate that primarily then the me and the you the me and the other will sort of come into a, enough equilibrium where you can you can the space of the heart can manage these two players <laughs> right so this quality of kindness goodwill and compassion if that is the orientation and ethics is the orientation and yeah and the restraint of unwholesome sankharas is the orientation and the generating of goodwill is the orientation and the reducing of the craving for you to be something and me to be something and things to be permanently solid if that is reduced right aren't we isn't there a more flexible uh fluid, um, somewhat mysterious, but rather beautiful heart space generated or realized that allows things to shift and change and come and go. And essentially that heart space becomes our dwelling. Our orient the orientation. And there's less chafing and stress. That's, you know, put it that way. So in a way it's extremely relational, but the relationship is based upon Dhamma. 
In other words, the relationship is based upon qualities such as ethics, honesty, uh, respect, uh, kindness, compassion, goodwill, understanding that all forms change. I can't expect you to be the same thing every day. I can't expect you to always be this every day, to be on time every day, to be bright every day, <laughs> to, you know, be happy every day. I release you from that. <laughs> yeah, in that sense of allowing space, isn't it possible that, you know, we can, some of this old karma could be allowed to steam off and, and evaporate, ceasing, the ceasing of old karma, ceasing of acquisitions of inheritances, relational. So when we, this is this is the way of this is the orientation around Dhamma. So the jitter is unrestricted by opinions and views, feelings and aims, emotions, and uh, projections. And this becomes progressively. You know, first of all, we just can't do that well. You've got to just keep working on generating that space. Space sounds kind of cold, but right, you know, find another word if you like. Uh, it's related space rather than disconnected space. Uh, so that as one gets the benefits of that, the steadying, the cooling, the comforting benefits of that, yes, it's true, one's appetites do dwindle because one's getting fulfilment and satisfaction. One's insecurities do disappear because one's getting a sense of, oh, this is the orientation. You can go back to it time and time again. Yeah. You can start now. You can lose it and go back to it. It's always there. You can make a complete bodge-up, disaster, <laughs> crash, pick yourself up, go back to it again. It's still there. Yeah. This is your... You know, this is your home, you could say. No matter how far you go, you can go back to it. This is the Dharma stream. The stream entro, one who has entered that stream, has faith in it, has confidence in it, and is lifted up by it. So the sense appetites decrease, their wish for power and status decreases, uh, their vulnerability to praise and blame ceases, uh, because they're not, in, they're not, running on those terms. They've got no interest in that. So you can notice as the, you know, the Buddha said, if you want to, the world he wins, praise, blame, gain, loss, uh, notoriety or fame and, and ignominy and, uh, Pleasure, happiness, unhappiness. How much do you get rocked around by those? And when jitta has this orientation towards dhamma, it begins to lose access to these winds. These winds don't blow in. So, for example, something like praise. I think, uh, you know, obviously, you know, in my life as a as a young boy, praise is very pleasing 
if you're really lifted up by it. Blame, very wounding. You go to school, you get praised, you lift up. Back of the class, you know. Then, of course, you know, you go to grow up a little bit more and getting some admiration if you're good and then feeling ignored by the crowd down, you know, outsider. This can kill people, literally. Uh, nowadays, people get kill themselves because they get these trolling things on the internet where suddenly a thousand or five hundred people start abusing them. They kill themselves. Seventeen-year-old boys. That's the power of blame, right? It can kill you. You kill yourself. Praise, you can get totally inflated. Totally inflated. Lose, lose contact with reality. Narcissistic. And you get people who do that. Become completely ungrounded and totally self-centered. Narcissism. They are dangerous phenomena. Yeah. They are very dangerous phenomena. But with uh, understanding the quality of feeling that arises when one is praised, the quality of the, the feel and the emotion that arises, yeah. contemplating it, letting it pass through. So we, the more we're able to loosen up this self-boundary, instead of it ricocheting in round, around inside ourselves, and becoming I am the blamed, I am the blamed, I am the guilty, I am the unworthy, because the personality package is holding it in. And if that, the more that personality package is seen through, reduced, washed away, dissolved, blame comes, you think, oh, he's unhappy. <laughs> May, have I done something wrong, I wonder? No, I don't think so. Could you tell me more? <laughs> you know, there isn't that. Uh, or if you have done something, you say, oh yes, you're right there. Mm. Thank you, yeah. Tell me, how would give me some instructions on how to in improve. See, it's no longer that same emotional hit because the sense moves through it, isn't held as an identity. Right? What are people praising? When people praise, what are they praising? <laughs> you know, you, you contemplate it because you know now I, I get I get a certain amount of praise. What, what are people praising? What's that mean? It means people are uplifted and maybe expressing gratitude. Great, that's very good. I'm glad that's pleasing. I'm glad that that's pleasing. Uh. <laughs> it doesn't become anything. <laughs> yeah. And as the Buddha said, if you, you know, you're what you can be a teacher when you can manage praise and blame when they don't grab you. It's not because you're smart, it's because your heart is not grabbed by praise and blame. Then you're fit to teach. If you're still grabbed by that, don't put yourself in that spot because you could do, you could be damaged a lot and you could do other people a lot of damage too if you're seeking glorification. Right? 
So this, you know, just acknowledge if you're still caught in it, just keep quiet till you pass through that, seen through it. This is the way we, until those sankharas have stilled and ceased, until your mind doesn't go there anymore. And this is possible. Possible through contemplating there's the emotion. You go and look into the emotion, what's happening, certain buzzing energy, mobile energy, and within that feeling, pleasure, pain, feeling. Okay, let's just contemplate the feeling and in the body, energies shifting, rising, sinking. They're not a person, energies, feeling, mood. They're not a person. They don't have to be a person. So then they can pass through. Now when there's craving, the craving for becoming, for being something, locks those feelings and emotions and energies. It locks them as, this is mine, this is what I am. Therefore, suffering is on its way. So you don't have to stop feeling, or even emotion, but the craving for being is what gets destroyed. Then the emotion of feeling, you know, a certain sense of uplift can move through. And pass. Not you want it to pass, it just does. And would say even the basis for that becomes comes less and less uh, focused upon. You're not seeking praise when you are with others. You're not seeking something because you you've already got your refuge. So these are things to to notice. So let's take some time. And the meditation is going to be on myself. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> what is myself? <laughs> what is my? And it won't take it won't take you long because <laughs> it's it's right, it's happening. And when we disengage from acting, we can notice the 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 the, the, the flow or the cascade of preoccupations, of physical feelings, of sensations, of energies, of moods, and a certain uh, lining up that says, oh, this, this, is, this is me, this is where I am, this is me. And it's built of pieces of history, uh, particular probably pieces of verbal stuff get stuck into it, particular verbal patterns get stuck into it, uh, emotional reactions. This is me feeling agitated, or or, uh, or or despondent, or you know, bubbly, or something, or enthusiastic. That's who I am. Just notice these qualities as they are. And okay, there's that. What is it that notices myself? This is called. Okay, what is it that's aware of myself? This is self-awareness rather than self-reference. Self-reference is, give me a, tell me what I am, 
this is mine, this is mine. So that's self-reference. Self-awareness means this is the experience of self. It's doing this. It's shifting and it's feeling up or down or strong or weak. And notice the cascade of qualities, dhammas, basic ground, you know, particles of experience are called dhammas. Again, they're not really entities, they're just signals uh, that are forming this psychological pattern in myself. And there's the space around that. Can that space around myself, that awareness of myself, just be open? Not fixing anything, not analysing anything, just aware of it in an open and friendly way. Uh-huh. And allowing it to you know, ventilate, you could say. Now, when we cultivate like this, it's not... Often it's the case that nothing much seems to happen. There it is rattling away. <laughs> of course, this is only one meditation, only one way of cultivating. But, but you'll notice over time, that sense of self becomes less pressing, less domineering, less something that you constantly have to be feeding or petting or, or mollifying or boosting up. It just becomes a kind of little blip. <laughs> a kind of, a, on your screen or a, a smudge on your screen. Oh, there it is. That, that's me again. Yeah, I recognize that. Yeah. And it's not something that you, you have to keep criticizing or going into. So it's a, it's a nice, you know, it's a, it's a graduated perspective. And you can begin to recognize within that as you get more familiar with it, these are the trigger points. Definitely strong tendency towards, you know, blaming others or blaming myself. Definitely a strong tendency to feeling inadequate or feeling, you know, I've got to do it all, over-responsible. Oh, that one. Watch out for that one. Know yourself in order to know that yourself is not yourself. Know it. Then you don't follow it blindly. Okay, let's take a little break and stretch your legs or whatever and say let's do a half an hour just um, following any of that that um, seems supportive for your welfare.